I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes and multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. If that does not appease you, you can use social media, hashtag Giants Chat. <laughs> and a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we will be breaking down more prospects over the course of this show. You look at the calendar. It's April 10th, Paul. Before you know it, it's going to be the draft. Well, if you go by the weather, it feels like it's already June because (laughs) we're supposed to get 70s and 80s this week in North Jersey. And Pretty I'm sure amazing. everybody outside of New Jersey is so excited to hear that news, Well, given the fact that they're not anywhere in the vicinity of the Garden State. Whatever. The bottom line is we're, get, we're getting there now. The summer's sure. getting closer, and I can't wait till training camp. Hey, it's going to be knocking on the door before you know it. That's why I always say this. The season ends, and you're like, oh, my goodness, we got to get through month after month. The one thing about the NFL calendar, they do a great job spreading things out enough. Oh. There's always something going on. It wasn't that way when I started. 
Trust me, it was not. We've come a long way. There were huge dead zones in the NFL calendar. Yep. Outside of occasional off-season things, and, and the, you know, there was the passing camp, the mini camp, the draft, and that was really it. And now there's just so much. Uh, you know, that's, I guess that's probably one of the good things about free agency. Oh, it's fantastic. Is that yeah. it really added to the storylines during the NFL off-season. Right now, given the status of where the NFL calendar is, the only black hole is from mid-June till the end of July when they send the players off well, teams from the go off-season program. Yeah. And they say, guys, you're coming back the end of July at training camp. Don't do anything stupid. You've got about five or six weeks off. That's the only black hole, really. And quite frankly, you want it to be a black hole because if there is NFL news, it's yeah. usually bad. But I would say from a 12-month perspective... If the sacrifice you have to make is for five or six weeks, that's not Oh, big, I know. Right? Under the circumstances. I know. Because we go from the end of the season, we got the playoffs, we then all of a sudden have the combine, the start of free agency. Yeah. Then you're talking about the draft in between all of that. Now you're going to have spring workouts are going to begin, right? I mean, Giants players are going to arrive in about a week. So it's yeah. going to be fast and furious. And, and with all due respect, outside of the three years of the USFL in 83, 84, and 85 – which was awesome. I Look, I love that league, and I pull no punches when I say it. it. It was a quality league with quality players. It was really enjoyable. They played 18 games, okay? It was great. It was, it was 12 months out of the year of actually pro football happening here at the Meadowlands with the Generals, the Giants, and, and obviously, you know, the, the Jets became a, a tenant too. Who didn't follow the rule of thumb to start their team with a G, by the way? Apparently. Yeah, right? They didn't get that memo, but yes. Well, they are. Well, a, I didn't mean to open the door for you to. Uh, they are what they are. Yes. Uh, okay. But but here's the thing. I can't deal with this new XFL. I cannot deal with this new incarnation of the USFL. That stuff is terrible. Well, it's a developmental league. No, that's it's it not is. even that. Well, that's how it's, it's at least worse being than sold, that. Is what I'm saying. It's worse than that. If it strictly was, here's what I would love. This will never happen. Because the NFL will never take the responsibility either economically or logistically to do it to their players. But if you took all the practice squad players off of the NFL rosters at the end of this past season and said, okay, all of you guys are going into the USFL pool, okay? We're going to start with that, and then we will also... You know, those guys have to be eligible for the USFL draft first. Sure. Once those guys are depleted and the draft has taken place, now the USFL teams could go for free agents who are out there and fill out the rest of their rosters. NFL Europe used to be like that. NFL Europe used to have allocations where each NFL team could allocate uh, uh, two or three players. I think I think the limit was four. But I can't recall that now, folks. My, my memory's a little sketchy on this. But the point is there was some overlap between the two. There was. There was. So you could have these, quote, developmental practice squad players, okay, from your NFL team who were going to go to NFL Europe, the World League, right, and they were going to be able to play. There was a reason. I remember the, the, the Giants had a wide receiver named Gary Harrell. His nickname was The Flea. Because he was, guess, five foot seven and like 
I'm joking. 50 pounds soaking wet. But they well, called and him and annoyed defenses too. I would interpret. He was that very as well. yeah, and yeah. he was obviously a wide receiver, kick returner. He was called the flea, Gary Harrell, and he got allocated. And you know what? I actually watched some of those games because I wanted to see. Well, you were what invested in that. Player. I wanted to yeah. see what he was doing. All right, that's the deal. If you're talking about your 12 practice squad players that you had at the end of last season and you're sending them into this league, I have interest. Sure. Okay? I'd like to see how Corbin would have run the ball in the XFL. Jay Sean Corbin. Or in the USFL. Yes, I would like to have seen that. I would like to have seen Makai Polk to try running pass routes in this league. That would have interested me. Okay? I'm not interested in what they're putting, what that product is now on the field. That does not interest me. But I would have wanted sure. to see these other guys. Well, that's why it's good that the NFL has some activities for every month as we started the program off. So you don't have to painfully <sighs> sit back and watch those two. I'd lists. rather watch those guys develop. Well, speaking of developing, before we get into the draft and open up the phone lines, there was a reported transaction that the Giants made that we did not address at the tail end of last week. By the way. Pearson, do what you got to do. He's ready. Well, real quickly, <laughs> before we get our first guest up, the Giants, according to reports, nothing official, but it looks like they're adding another center in J.C. Hassenauer, who spent time with the Pittsburgh Steelers with Brian Dable at Alabama mm -hmm. in 2017. And unlike the other options currently on the roster, he has experience under center at yes. that position, where he was battling for the starting spot yes. a few years ago, too. So yes. that's appealing about bringing in somebody. And we talked about, you're not just relying on the draft, but you could grab a veteran who was unsigned late in free agency, bring him in, and have him compete. And I think he fits that bill. Well, there's no doubt. He's played a number of games at center in his NFL career. He's a legitimate player. Uh, you mentioned the Alabama connection. His first NFL start was back in 2020 against the Giants when he was with the Steelers. No, he's a legitimate player. And quite frankly, the Giants needed some legitimate NFL experience at the pit. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one -on -one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. When Marquise Pouncey retired two years ago, mm -hmm. he was competing with Kendrick Green, their rookie at the time. He ultimately lost out on the job, but still got some valuable experience as a versatile interior offensive lineman and somebody with several starts at center. So we'll get more into that as we move forward here on the program. But we are also looking forward to the draft. And the first program that we're going to start with actually has a direct tie to a member of the Giants roster. Maybe it's going to be a family affair for Big Blue, Paul. And to get more into that, we start the festivities off with 
a host on ESPN Radio who you can hear in Baton Rouge, none other than Matt Moscona, who knows this LSU Tigers team backwards and forwards. Matt, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Uh, fantastic. Love this time of year. Love looking forward to the draft. And obviously, we're, you know, we're waist deep in spring football down here, too. Absolutely. So let's delve right into it. I was referencing a family affair. That is because LSU has a guy by the name of B.J. Ojolari, who clearly is the younger brother of Giants pass rusher Aziz Ojolari. And he has been very active over the last three seasons specifically. But I guess my big question to you, Matt, is where do you think his best fit is on the NFL level, given his skill set that he showcased at LSU? He's going to have to fit somewhere as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Um, he's not – B.J.'s not going to be a guy that's big enough to put his hand in the dirt, and, and he's also not someone that would transition to an inside backer. So if you're, if you're looking for a, a traditional 4-3 hand-in-the-dirt defensive end, that's not B.J. Ojolari. But he is a dynamic athlete. Now, he can, he can flip his hips and run. He can get off the edge and, and rush the passer. And he's a physical enough player at the line that he's – he he will defend against the run, um, but if you're just thinking uh, prototypical, I'm thinking guys coming out of LSU like Arden Key or Daniil Hunter with the Vikings. Those guys that's that's not that's not BJ. Now, if you can, and I don't know how much you watched Aziz when when he was in college. I'm sure you got to see him at least a few times. Can you compare the brothers to give Giants fans an idea of what BJ is like? compared to Aziz? Um, athletically very similar, although Aziz is probably a little bit bigger than BJ. I'm, you'd have to tell me what they have Aziz listed at right now with the Giants. Um, yeah, but, but BJ is going to be more of the 6'1", you know, 6'2", six, six you know, 240 range. So they, they may actually be comparable depending on what Aziz looks like right now. And honestly, guys, I don't know how the Giants use Aziz, but, you know, LSU has transitioned during BJ's career here, where when Ed Ogeron was the coach, they were running a traditional 4 3. And when Brian Kelly came in and he hired Matt House to be the defensive coordinator, who had spent time as the linebackers coach with the Kansas City Chiefs. They transitioned back to a 3-4. And that's where B.J. Ojolari really found his emergence as an every-down player. Earlier in his career, you know, whenever they were in, in, in obvious passing downs and they needed athleticism off the edge, they could stand him up as an extra rusher. But um, really in the 3-4 this past year is where we saw B.J. Ojolari emerge. I can't say that I know how Aziz is used there there in New York. Though. Well, he's listed, Matt, just to give you an idea. The Giants have him, Aziz, I'm talking about, at 6'3", 240. So within the range okay. of what you said yeah, for his brother. Yeah. As far as you talked about his fit, how is BJ as a run defender in comparison to his outlook as a pass rusher? Um, so just just for context, this past season, B.J. made 58 tackles for, for LSU. Really, his impact was tackles for loss, sacks, getting up the field and making plays behind the line. He is a physical enough player and a willing run defender. 
It's just not how they used him. It's not how they wanted to isolate him. They wanted to take advantage of his athleticism on the edge. Because the best thing I can tell you about B.J. Ojolari is whatever team drafts him, he, he is going to be a guy that you will never have to worry about being willing, being a leader, being plugged in. We Every year we have conversations like this. When guys get paid, what's the money going to do to them? With a guy like B.J. Ojolari, you're never going to have to worry about that. He wore the number 18 jersey at LSU, which is a big deal. It's like a leadership deal that's passed on, voted on by the players year to year. Um, so if they ask him to to play in the box and be a, 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 a run-defending edge, he'll do it. I just don't know that that's going to be his most effective spot at the next level. All right. I got to ask you about a guy who, when I was at the Combine a couple of months back, drew a lot of hot and cold responses. Kayshawn Booty, <clears throat> wide receiver. Yeah. Boy, there are some people who love his skill set, who love his confidence, his cockiness, and his attitude. And then there are others who maybe don't like his attitude so much and also don't like his injury history. So with this hot and cold collection of, of attitudes or responses that I got, and I did, by the way, stand by his media session, and I listened to him, and I understand why there's a polarized look at this guy. Um, you've got to give me your take on him. So I think the biggest hang-up with Kayshawn is, is something you just mentioned, and that's, that's the injuries. When Kayshawn Booty was a freshman, and if you go look at the end of his freshman year, it was the COVID year. But that's when he blew up. He set the SEC single-game receiving record and was on everybody's radar. And for the first half, guys, for perspective, as a sophomore, Kayshawn Booty only played half the season. He had the, the ankle fracture with dislocation against Kentucky. He still, despite only playing half the season, still led LSU in receiving touchdowns that season. He just has not come back, in my opinion, physically from that injury. Uh, this year he was not as explosive, and he looked to be heavy. So if a team drafts Kayshawn Booty in, in day two, if he's a day two pick and he's healthy, he's right and, and in shape, it, it could be the steal of the draft. Because this is a guy who was legitimately being talked about before this past season, fellas, as the best receiver in the country. Sure, as, huh? as a lock, top ten, certainly top half of round one pick, the the attitude thing, I understand why that's been a conversation. What I can tell you about Kayshawn is he wants to be great. He had an opportunity to transfer, didn't, because playing at LSU, being a kid from Westgate, New Iberia, which is southwest Louisiana, it mattered to him to be like Odell and Jarvis and and um, Jamar Chase, kids from Louisiana who you know who wore that that jersey, and it mattered to him. So. Guys, I worry. I really worry less about the attitude thing. I think a lot of that was once you buy into a talking point on a guy, then anything that is an illustration of that talking point, we hammer it. So when Kayshawn, when it was when Kayshawn was painted as bad body language, you ignored all the good stuff, and anytime you saw anything negative, we collectively hammered it. Right. I, being around this guy for three years, I don't have as much concern about that. Put him in a good situation. Look. Brian Dayball's a great offensive coach. You get him in a situation where he's involved and he's making plays, he's going to be great. It's really, for me, a matter of can he get back to the level 
of explosiveness he had pre-injury. And if he can, could be the steal of the draft. If not, then all these questions that you're asking, which are very valid, I think persist during his pro career as well. Now, there was one other thing that he mentioned as a reason for some of the inconsistencies besides the injuries. He specifically mentioned when he was talking at the podium that he was in three different offensive schemes during his time with the Tigers. Could you address that in any way? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Um, Needless to say, things at LSU, I look, Everybody watched that 2019 LSU team with Joe Burrow and yeah. Jamar Chase and those guys, right? Yeah. So you go from the greatest team ever to your coach being fired a year and a half later, you had massive amounts of dysfunction. Um, and Ed Ogeron was not a great coaching talent evaluator. Um, and that was a problem. I think Brian Kelly, Mike Denbrock um, certainly have stabilized things. But Kayshawn's best year was back in 2020, that, that COVID year, his freshman season, when Steve Ensminger was still calling plays. And Ensminger was the, the OC of that national championship team um, who knew creatively how to get Kayshawn involved and to take advantage of mismatches. So I think undoubtedly that's, that's part of it, having to learn three systems. And obviously this past year, a new head coach who had different expectations. But, you know, I think Kayshawn has some maturing to do. He's a new father. I don't know if that was talked about. but Yeah, he mentioned um, that. He mentioned it. Yep. He became a father this, this past fall during the season as well. And guys, I, I mean, you know, as, as parents, having, becoming, a, becoming a father forces you to mature. And I, I'm sure that'll happen with Kayshawn. But being in three systems in three years, I, I think there's a ton of validity to that, in particular the transition this year, because it wasn't just about the offense. It was also about the expectation that Brian Kelly had on Kayshawn Booty to grow up and be a leader on this team. Matt, I want to circle back to your point about the rehab because you referenced not only did he not look like his old self because of the significance of the ankle injury, but he came back a little bit heavier. How much do you know about what the rehab process was like for him? Did he stay at school? Did he do stuff on his own? And is that a tell as to questions about maybe his work ethic in case injuries do pop up again on the NFL level? So that's it's a it's a really good point. It's also an illustration of the prior question about the time here with Ed Ogeron. So mm. Ed Ed had a much different approach than Brian Kelly. Um, with Ed, it was it was decidedly more lax, and I don't mean that as a criticism because some teams are better enough to to be more like a pro environment where you just are accountable to yourself and you have to take care of your stuff. Brian, when Brian Kelly was hired, one of the first things he said when he was asked about, about Kayshawn Booty, who understand, guys, like that was a big deal. Kayshawn's a star player. He said, Brian Kelly's words were, well, I know his name. And that was about it. Basically, they had had no interaction. And over the course of last spring, Brian Kelly started to make an example of Kayshawn to say, look, you've got to be here. You have to be in the building. You have to be present. You have to do your rehab here. You have to be at team meetings. Like, you got the sense that when Kayshawn was injured, he just wasn't present. He, he wasn't at rehab at the facility. He wasn't at practice. He wasn't at team meetings. It was just like he was hurt, so he was out. And I, and I think that's more of a reflection on what the leadership of the program was like at the time because when Brian Kelly put those, those restrictions on Kayshawn, he bought in. He bought in completely. So maybe there is some of that. Maybe it is the fact that he was slower to come back from the injury because of a lot of those things. But you know, if, if you get Kayshawn in the right system, and I mean, I'll, I'll go back to this. Like, I, I, I'm sure Brian Dayball is a popular guy there. Like, 
saw him at Alabama, I have a, obviously a ton of respect for him and the way that he handles his business. That's the kind of structure that I think would do a guy like Kayshawn Booty really well. Um, I, I hope that's making sense, guys. Like if, yeah. My point is, if, if you give him parameters, sure. he's going to abide by them. But if mm-hmm. you tell him, hey, you're accountable to yourself, it may not, it may not go as well. Well, I think that's why the hot and cold responses came out of the combine. Uh, Very mixed reactions. Hey, I want to ask you about another edge guy. I know we're kind of getting close here to time, but but a guy who's got a lot of tools, but I think he's raw and he's going to need a lot of coaching up. Uh, Ali Gay, who, you know, to me, I'm I'm intrigued by him. I'm not sure exactly where his ceiling lies, but uh, if you could give us some thoughts about his prospects. Yeah, Ali Gay came to LSU as a transfer during that COVID year. Uh, he was a, he was a junior college player when he showed up, and guys, the first game of his career completely went off against Mississippi State. And there was a and remember during COVID, there, there were guys just opting out left and right. There were a lot of people who thought. I mean, you look at this guy who guys. I mean, he's on the All Airport team, um, six six two seventy, chiseled like he's an Adonis. There were a lot of people who feared, like legitimately, that he may opt out the rest of the season. Um, Comes back for 2021, played in just four games, was injured. So he, he returned as a super senior, took advantage of the COVID year this year, stayed healthy, and, and really had a fantastic season. Um, the, the production maybe wasn't there as much this year, I think in large part because of how LSU used Harold Perkins. Who, anybody that watched college football probably knows the name Harold Perkins, how he emerged this year. Yeah. But BJ is a guy, uh, excuse me, uh, Ali Gay is a guy that – you could legitimately play as a – he's the contrast to B.J. Ojolari. You could play him as the big end in a 3-4. Mm-hmm. You could put him as a hand-in-the-dirt 4-3 end and take it up the field, go kill the quarterback. Yeah. He's, he's a really interesting prospect that because the numbers, because the production maybe isn't there as much, he's not higher on people's draft boards. I want to stay on the defensive side of the ball. LSU has several players – Jaqueline Roy, who is more of an interior yeah. lineman, and as you can attest to, Matt, it seems as if he's had experience at the nose tackle position and also the defensive tackle position. And the Giants could be looking for somebody that's a good run stuffer who may go in the middle of the draft. And he seems to have a bit of rawness to him. And the reason I bring that up is because, if I'm right, he only was a one-year starter. So we're not talking about a lot of snaps prior. Where do you see his upside, especially on the interior of the defensive line on the NFL level? He's uh, so to your point about playing both pat nose tackle and defensive tackle. LSU rotated three interior linemen this year. They were so thin at that position. But look, I've seen Jaquelin since he was in high school. He he prepped at U High in Baton Rouge, which is literally on LSU's campus. Uh, he was a dominant player as a as a prep athlete. Chose to stay home, went to LSU. Um, he, he was a top fifty player in the country when he signed with LSU. To tell you what type of prospect he was. And yes, he's a blow up the launch pad guy. He's a pass rusher. He's a very good run defend, uh, defender. If LSU had any sort of a rotation this year, I mean, if they had numbers where guys weren't literally playing 95% of the defensive snaps every game, um, you might have even seen more productivity. But Jaquelin Roy is the guy that, yeah, look, I mean, he is your prototype interior defensive lineman in the NFL. If he stays healthy, he will have a long NFL career. I mean, that's one of those guys that's a great guy. You don't worry about the character, the attitude, the buy-in. He'll do whatever you want. He can stuff the run. He can blow off the launch pad as a pass rusher. 
I mean, he is a he's a guy that that makes NFL teams and sticks around for a decade. All right, we only got about a minute left, so real quick, uh, I'm going to ask you about Jay Ward, a jack of all trades in the secondary, maybe yep. a master of none, but a guy who you've got to be looking at at day three because at the very least, he's a football player and he's going to be a, a, a coach's player that they're going to love him. And I think at the very least, he's going to contribute on special teams for somebody. Of all the guys on the LSU roster that are in this draft, I would be the most surprised if Jay Ward doesn't make it in the NFL because he, because he can do everything. Uh, he has played boundary corner and been great, did that as a freshman. When they needed safety help, he went and played you know, center field for him. He's played nickel. He can play dime, and he'll also play special teams. He, um, the, the, this may not be a, a, um, um, a, a great comp, but the, the Saints have a player who's been around for a decade out, out of Florida State. I'm, I'm blanking right now, but it's, just, it's, the same, it's the same role. I mean, a guy that, that can play anywhere in the secondary and will just keep making teams because he could play. Uh, P.J. Williams, something enough. Okay. Yep. He can yeah. play anywhere. He can play you know, maybe late day two, day three guy, but can play anywhere in that secondary. Matt, real quickly before we let you go, Makai Garner and Mike Jones Jr., they're both transfers. Jones Jr. was at Clemson. Makai Garner was at Louisiana Lafayette. So not a huge sample size at LSU compared to some of the other players. Of those two, who do you think has more appeal when it comes to the NFL, even though they do play two different positions? Yeah. Garner Garner is a big physical corner. He's a big 6'3", fills out the uniform. Mm-hmm. He's a he, – think – Think, think Richard Sherman, big physical yeah. corner. Yeah. Um, Mike Jones is an overhang linebacker. He, he came here to play Mike. He got beat out two years in a row. Um, his, his path is going to be more difficult unless if he decides to settle in where, where he belongs, which is in that outside overhang spot. He is Matt Moscona. You can hear him on ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge all over this LSU football team. Matt, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for the background intel, and we look forward to speaking to you down the road. Great stuff, Matt. Okay. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. You got it. Our pleasure having you on the program as LSU. When you compare this school to various other programs, you talk about a lot of substance. I mean, we could see as many as seven or eight guys get drafted out of LSU. It's the SEC, Lance. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's surprising, but hey, there's some years where it's a down year for an LSU I know, program. I know, but no, they, they, they got some players, and, and it's the kind of thing where even if the production wasn't necessarily there, and we talked about a few of them, their traits and their skill set is going to get them looked at. 100%. And... We were talking about booty, and you know, I think we got some interesting perspective from Matt, especially with respect to the rehab. That's why I had to bring him yeah. up early because I'm telling you, the the opposite ends of the spectrum of of the collection of folks at the combine on him, you get the feeling he's going to be a boom or bust kind of That's prospect. Fair. Well, if you watch him prior to the injury, the one thing I will say is he's very good. <laughs> This man can get into crevices yes. unlike anything else and make catches. He can absolutely He's play. very he crafty. He really so can. if you want to take a flyer on a guy and you feel you get him in your rehab facility and he's going to stay on a path, as Matt talked about, I think he could be somebody that could really take the top off the somebody, ball. Somebody will take him. I wonder if it'll be his, you know, at one point, as he said, he was a top receiver going in, in his class. Do you think he drops to the third round? It's possible, but I would say if it turns out, that's a heck of a steal based on where you draft him and where he was once in college. Of course, now, if it doesn't work out, 
you got to face everybody else in that draft room the following year saying, I'm the guy who picked him in the third round. Of course. Well, and that's why we say it's an inexact science, right? Well, speaking of it being an inexact science, there is one player in our next school who is already being compared to one of the best defensive linemen on the interior in NFL history. And to get more perspective on that, let's bring in Pat Bostic, former Pitt QB. You can hear him on the Panthers radio network. He is their color analyst. Pat, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Giants.com, Big Blue kickoff live greatly appreciate the time today hope all is well how's everything on your end everything's great appreciate you guys having me absolutely and the player that i was alluding to who i'm sure you well yeah. know is <laughs> kalijah cansey because there are in fairness and you've seen this up close and personal we've even heard pat narduzzi throw out and he doesn't necessarily throw these things out lightly that he reminds him of aaron donald and you look at the size, the strength, I think it's a fair comparison. It's not as if they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but let me ask you, from seeing him in game situations, seeing both players, how fair do you think the comparison is, Pat? Yeah, I certainly think the comparison, I mean, it's legitimate. They're both obviously, you know, undersized, um, you know, twitchy, explosive, you know, really smart players. It's tough to always compare, uh, you know, Aaron's the standard, sure. uh, you know, not only a pit, but I think – across the country, but their, their ability to disrupt games, you know, really change games and attract attention, you know, from offensive lines is, it's very similar. Their ability to get off the snap count, um, use their hands, uh, strength, get underneath guys with leverage. It's very similar. So I think it's an appropriate, um, you know, frame of reference and, you know, Kalijah is, you know, just another one of, of those explosive guys that, that I think is going to make uh, a lot of hay, you know, as a three technique at the next level. How much is he a plug-and-play guy right away? Because one of the things that a scout had said to me was they'd like to see more repertoire out of him in terms of counter moves and abilities to do second and third things when a bigger, stronger lineman ties him up. I think he's plug-and-play. I mean, it's got to be the right system, certainly, mm-hmm. uh, where he's given freedom. You know, pitch defensive line, they're, they're given a lot of freedom um, to shoot, to take shots, to, to take chances. Um, he's certainly not not a guy that's going to hold a gap, and uh, you know, kind of kind of punch and hold and reach and, and, and play two way. That's not really his thing. But you know, Kalijah is also you know extremely hard worker. Um, he's he's very mentally engaged in the game, studies the game. Um, I expect him to only improve uh, when he gets to the next level. So while there's room for improvement, I think that's a positive thing. Pat, a lot of the conversation with respect to him has focused on the interior of the defensive line. I'm curious, do you see a team saying, hey? Maybe we can move him to the outside and utilize him more like that. I mean, even a guy like Aaron Donald has moved around a lot, but what do you think his potential is if people wanted to toy with him being an edge rusher? I think he's got potential. I think he'd prefer to be inside, but but he's got, the, I mean, obviously you saw the 40 time. Uh, you yep. saw the 10 split, you know, you know, one, six, four, or whatever it was. I mean, he can, and he can really, he can bend. So, you know, getting around the edge, I think, you know, it's certainly, you know, in pass rush situations, walking him around, you know, in some of those third down nickel looks that you see, um, you know, he poses that kind of threat. He can also drop back and cover um, if you really wanted to, to, to really toy with people. So, you know, he's an extremely versatile player. Um, he, he's obviously a three technique by, by nature, uh, but I think he's position flexible um, to, to do a number of different things. I'm going to go to more of what the Giants need here because he may not be the second person taken out of pit in this draft. But Israel Abadikanda, the running back, 
who I've seen some people think he could be maybe late second or early third. I've seen other people say, ah, you know what, he's going to be a much later day three pick. Uh, could you indicate to me why you think there's such a gap in the talent evaluations on him, and where do you see his fit in the NFL? At running back, obviously, yeah. for folks who don't know him. Obviously, I'm asking about a running back because I think the Giants could certainly use a developmental one. Yeah, he's he's um, you know I think his strengths are you know straight line speed, explosion, um, ability to start and stop. You know, he, he's a, a really good zone runner that can find a crack, and when he gets to the second level, he's he's usually gone. Um, he's a, he's a competent pass catcher. I think what what teams you know see from from Israel is is just a, an inconsistency in pass protection, mm-hmm. and at times his route running. Um, and this is such a passing game now that you know while. You want to be able to run the football. You don't want to have backs that are that are two down or one down backs. And I think that's where you know Izzy needs to take a step um, when he gets to that next level is becoming a you know an every down a back that can play on third down block and release out and you know into the pass in the pass pattern and and, and be effective. So um, he has got to show more flexibility, uh, more versatility from that standpoint. And I think that's probably why there's a disparity. Uh, and what teams are looking for the teams that run the zone, the Niners, the you know obviously the Rams that that want a guy that can that can cut back, puncture, and hit hit hit, hit home runs. That's your guy. Um, but it, but when you get to third down, that's where he's got to improve, particularly in the protection phase. Sure, especially if you invest in somebody high in the draft, you want to make sure you don't have to take him off the field on third down. I think that point is well taken. I want to flip back to the defensive side of the ball, and this is a player, Pat, that I think has intrigued because he hasn't played football that long, and that's Abba Baldonado, who's an Italian native. I believe it's a great story in terms of how Pitt found him. It was like a last-second <laughs> recruiting trip. But you look at his numbers. He had nine sacks in 2021. The production dipped last year. I guess my first question is, why the disparity between 2021 and 2022? And how much, given he has a small sample size of playing, do you think there's much more to scratch out of the potential there? I think there's a lot. You know, Haba's an extremely you know raw player. He, he certainly honed his craft over the course of this past year, you know, battled injuries, you know, really the last 18 months um, that, that slowed him down. And I think, you know, was pressed back into duty and wasn't, you know, perhaps a hundred percent this year, you know, obviously you're going to get more attention, you know, when you have, you know, a season like he had in 2021, but I think the sky's the limit with Haba, you know, he's got the body type, he's got the twitch. He's extremely smart. He can play multiple Roles he could play even a five technique I think in a, in a you know three four defense uh, and two gap for you he's strong enough so um, I think the ceiling's really high particularly given that you know the lack of you know the lack of really you know at bats and snaps sure. in his career um, so we'll see I, I think the other you know, cause, you know point of concern probably be the injuries but you know they've been you know a shoulder and 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 a, and a knee and um, that's not all too uncommon but um, it, it certainly hampered his 2022 production. All right, I got to ask you about a local guy because we're calling you from North Jersey. Uh, offensive tackle Carter Warren comes out of Patterson. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, I, I understand that maybe the Giants right now don't necessarily need a tackle, but uh, he'd be a great hometown story if he's got the opportunity to come here and develop and potentially at least be a, a backup in the early going. Yeah, well, first thing he's got, he's got certainly played a lot of snaps He's extremely long and athletic. Um, another guy coming off an injury. 
Um, you know, didn't run, you know, at the combine or pro day. Didn't run the 40. But not, not really that – it doesn't really matter, you know, for a tackle. Uh, <laughs> but did drills and, and looked good. And I think I mean, he's a guy that when he gets his hands on you, it's, it's pretty difficult to, to, to get around him. Um, just, just so much extension there. You play both sides of the, you know, right or left tackle. Right. And, um, you know, I think a great kid. You know, he's a great kid that will find a home and a long home in the National Football League, in my opinion. I just want to throw out, Abana Kande is a local guy, too. He's a Brooklyn, New York guy, Paul. I mean, I know you favor New Jersey, but I'm on the New York side of things. So, Pat, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt the conversation but here, the but stadium my is co-host on. has to realize we got to give some love to the New York The stadium's City. on this side of the Hudson. Yes, but it's called the New York Giants for I got a reason. You. It encompasses okay. the it's New York, okay. New Jersey metropolitan area. It's okay. Listen, he went to my alma mater, so I got to give him some love in Brooklyn, New York. I anyway, got you. as we return to <laughs> planet Earth on this program, Pat, I'm sorry we had to work out our issues here on this show. Servasier Dennis is another one of those guys that is appealing because he had seven sacks this past season and seems to really be a good tackler in open space. Where do you see his upside at the next level and fit-wise at the linebacker spot? I think it's his upside's you know way up. He's as smart a player as you're going to find in the draft, not just not just in terms of Wonderlick and all the analytics they do, but just if you sit down in a room with him, he, he is just incredibly intelligent and instinctive with the way he plays. He can play special teams. He can run. Um, he's not the most physically imposing or biggest guy. Um, but he's got plenty of strength and pop. He will he will hit you. He will strike. Um, I, I think you know. Again, I'm, I'm biased for sure about all these guys. Sure. I would really say this about Cervasi. I, I think anyone that gets him is is getting a Swiss Army knife, um, and a guy that can play on every down, and uh, certainly can help out in the special teams phase, which is going to be how he probably makes his money early. And if he is a late round pick, you're going to have to hammer out some type of role on special teams. So that's actually good to hear if you do want to grab somebody at the linebacker position like that who can contribute and help out in that other facet. So that is something to look out for. Pittsburgh, they've got plenty of appealing prospects. It'll be interested to see how things pan out. I don't know if you want to throw out any other players, Paul, before no, we No, I was just going to say, yeah. I've seen Brandon Hill's name mentioned on a few of the Draft Guru sites. I must confess, I did not see any video on him at all. Uh, is there anything that you'd want to tell us about him that may make him an attractive prospect? Well, I mean, you know, Brandon's, I think any of these safeties that play in pitch defense that, that you know they can cover, you know, they play at press quarters, essentially cover zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of teams this year were, were going kind of formation into the boundary and trying to get Brandon, who's, the, who's technically the boundary safety, uh, weak side run fit, you know, ISOed. And he, he did a great job, you know, in one-on-one coverage with slot receivers, of which there were many in the, in the ACC that are extremely talented and good. Um, he could hit, he could thump, uh, you know, he's versatile, he can, he can cover kicks. Um, you know, I think Brandon's got a future. You know, I, I personally thought he could have used another year, but, um, you know, regardless, he's a guy that's played a lot of football, and uh, he flashes when you watch film. I mean, again, there, there's two or three hits a game where you know exactly, you can just hear it, you know exactly who it was. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's you know, Brandon Hill's calling card. Well, if he does that in training camp, he'll catch some coach's eye for sure. Absolutely, even if it's maybe an undrafted free agent who gets an invite to training camp. He is Pat Bostic, former Pitt QB. You can hear him on the Panthers radio network as the color analyst. Pat, greatly appreciate the time and the inside, and look forward to speaking down the road. Thanks, Pat. 
talk to you soon, guys. Appreciate you having me. You got it. Our pleasure. So that is a breakdown of the Pitt prospects, the Panthers, several guys on the defensive side of the ball, and clearly a running back and an offensive lineman. But to me, a big theme with this team, outside of Cansey, of course, who is by far the most proven commodity, they have linebackers and pass rushers that if you want to maybe bring them in in the late round, that you have a plan for them, right? We always talk about that, Paul. Mm-hmm. They could have all the upside in the world. You got to know where you're going to fit them in. I think there's some fifth-round, sixth-round talent here that could maybe carve out a role within a roster. See, the key for that level of player, a guy who's like an almost draftable kind of player, is the fact that the NFL expanded those practice squads during the COVID era. Because once that happened, and then the league decided to keep those practice squad numbers where they were, it just opened up a bunch of doors for these kinds of guys. Because even if they don't make it right away, coming right out of the box, they're developmental. Sure. And now they've got a chance that, oh, by the eighth game of the season, guys are getting hurt. All of a sudden now, hey, guess what? We got to call him up. And all of a sudden, he's got a chance. And once you're on a practice squad, that you never know where that's going to lead to. You might wind up having a five- or six-year career. It's just getting your foot in the door. And so the practice squad has not only helped out some veterans who have been able to now join the practice squad because of those new rules, but it's also helped a lot of borderline guys who need that extra time to develop. Assuming, of course, they don't get claimed off of waivers after you have to pass well, them through that. If they get claimed, all the better because that means somebody else is putting them on their 53. Sure, it's an opportunity, but I'm saying no if doubt. you look at it through the team's lens, that oh, wants no, to get no. them on the practice squad. No, no, they're no. They're not looking at it from I'm that strictly standpoint. from the player's no, no, perspective. Of I understand where you're coming you know, from. Yeah. They've got a bunch of guys who are developmental guys coming out of pit. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. All right, let's turn our attention to the ACC as we move to Georgia Tech, the Yellow Jackets, and to break down their prospects, we bring in Andy Demetra, their radio play-by-play announcer. Andy, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Yeah, everything's great. Thanks for inviting me on, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and I want to start with Keon White, their defensive lineman, who is projected to go relatively high in the draft, had seven and a half sacks last season, and seems to be also a player that still has some rawness to him as an edge rusher. What has jumped out to you the most since he transferred from Old Dominion and has made his mark on Georgia Tech? Yeah, so Keon White's really one of my favorite stories, and one of the better stories you may find among prospective first-round picks. He was the guy who told me after his senior season of high school, he didn't have a single Division One scholarship offer. He had taken his AFSAB test. He was ready to join the military after high school. Had Old Dominion not offered him a scholarship two weeks before National Signing Day. And we know he begins his career at Old Dominion as a tight end, spends one season in that position group before the coach is convinced to switch to defensive end. His first full season playing defensive end, he finishes top ten in the FBS and tackles for loss transfers to Georgia Tech, he really missed essentially two seasons because Old Dominion in 2020 didn't play football due to COVID, and then he suffered an ankle injury before he transferred to Georgia Tech, missed all but four games of his first season with the Yellow Jackets. Even then, uh, he was far from full strength, but you saw full strength in 2022, what Keon White was capable of. I mean, he's 6'5", every bit of 286, mm-hmm. and you, know, you have some guys who at 286 – they can be combine fast, but Keon White, he's football fast. And you see it in his film, the way he can carve up ground from the edge. He can play inside. I've seen him several times this past fall 
step for step with running backs on wheel routes out of the backfield. So he's definitely a specimen. I think he's still, like you said, a little bit on the raw side, but that doesn't mean that he can't come in and, and day one be a productive person for whomever selects him. Uh, so Keon White, really excited what he can do at the next level representing Georgia Tech. Now, the beauty of his raw toolbox, and as you say, he's going to need polish. He's going to need to be coached up on technique. Uh, obviously, he's going to have to add some more power, too. But the beauty of his toolbox is that you could foresee him as a 3-4 or a 4-3 defensive end. You could even see him doing some three-technique stuff moving on the inside in the NFL. And you know how these coordinators, especially today, love guys who can move around and be versatile like that. Where do you ultimately think his best upside lies in those different types of NFL schemes? Boy, that's a great question, and I'd love to gaze into my crystal ball and give you a definitive answer. <laughs> and at this point, I don't, but I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily for Keon. Because, uh, again, at 286, he's able to run the hump around the edge yeah. and come home on quarterbacks. We saw that, but... He's got one, uh, a big wingspan, 286. He moves his feet well, and he could easily slide inside. So I think that versatility is what's going to enable him to be very valuable for an NFL team. So as far as where his best positional track is moving into the NFL, I, I don't know, like I said, if there's a, a, a cut-and-dried answer for it yet, but he's shown the ability to be productive both in a 4-3, in a 3-4, on the outside, on the inside, uh, and that's what makes it really exciting to see how he'll evolve as an NFL player. I want to circle back, Andy, to some of the issues that he had in terms of staying healthy because I think a lot of people bring up the fact, well, he's going to be 24 years old on draft day. And that scares, obviously, a lot of teams and a lot of fans because they're like, wow, you know, he's much older than the typical rookie. But on the flip side, as you hit on, we're really only talking about a player that has played two full seasons of college ball. Yep. How much of a concern do you think the age factor is, though, even though there's not a lot of substance on the resume and wear and tear in terms of him being out on the football field? Yeah, I don't think that should be a hang-up for teams. You know, yeah, Keon White is 24, but like you said, he's only had two real full seasons of college football, so there's not a lot of tread on his tires. Um, and he showed uh, with that, that you know, pretty substantial ankle injury that he suffered before arriving at Georgia Tech in 21 that he was able to come back full strength and be back bigger and better and faster and, and just more productive than ever before. So I, I don't think teams have misgivings about his age because in football years, he's still pretty young. There's not a lot of miles on the odometer still with Keon White. Uh, and so I can definitely forecast him to be a durable guy who can give you a lot of years of service uh, simply because, you know, like I said, he he's, doesn't have a, a whole lot of years under his belt of, of playing full-strength football, and that should be a good thing. Now, I got a real puzzler for you, and that's Charlie Thomas, uh, because at 6'3", 216, and I know what the production was, but as he comes up to the NFL, I, I don't think he's going to be a safety. I think they're going to want him to be a linebacker, okay, but at 6'3", 216, the frame is kind of tall and slender. He's going to need to add some bulk if he's going to hold up in the front seven of a pro club. How likely do you think he's going to be able to do that and still maintain the kind of productivity that he had at Georgia Tech? So I really think that Charlie Thomas can be a good box linebacker. We know now teams are prioritizing linebackers who can move sideline to sideline, mm -hmm. and Charlie has that ability. And I'll say this, at 216 pounds, Pound for pound, guys, he may be the best hitter 
in the ACC this past year. I mean, mm. he's an absolute predator. His defensive coordinator, Andrew Thacker, told me the way that he explodes out of his hips is like few defensive players he's ever seen. Uh, and so just a number of lay-down and stay-down hits that Charlie delivered, not just this past fall, but throughout his Georgia Tech career. He may only be 216, but he packs a wallop, and I think that'll translate really well to playing linebacker at the NFL level. So don't let the, the, the relative lack of heft scare you from Charlie Thomas, because I'm telling you what, some of the shots and the blast radius that he puts off uh, just detonating on opposing ball carriers and guys coming out of the backfield, it was like few guys that you saw in the ACC or really in power conference football this past year. Charlie, you look at his I – mean, I'm sorry, Andy, I was talking about Charlie. <laughs> Confusing names here. You look at his production, he had some sacks sprinkled in over his five seasons. He had four picks over the last two seasons. You just described him as a hard hitter. I guess what I'm getting at is if you're an NFL team, I think it's going to be critical. How do you want to utilize him? So how did Georgia Tech utilize him that he was able to be active in the backfield but at the same time be in position to make some of those opportunistic plays? So he was a linebacker purely. You know, he, he arrived at Georgia Tech as sort of a safety. They moved him up to linebacker, and that was where he predominantly played at Georgia Tech through different head coaches, different coordinators. Um, and I think they really liked him as that outside backer and a guy that they could run on twist and bring in as an extra edge rusher. But they also felt really comfortable with dropping him in coverage. The one thing that was consistent from Charlotte throughout his Georgia Tech career is he had a knack for being around the football, and he had a knack for takeaways. His forced fumble numbers, his fumble recovery numbers, his interception numbers, he always found a way around the football. And I think that just speaks well to his football intelligence and his ability to cover a lot of ground at that linebacker position. So I really forecast him better as a linebacker. I think that it is most compatible with the way that he can be disruptive on an NFL football field. Uh, and, and the numbers bore that out at Georgia Tech. That's where he predominantly played, and I think that's probably where he should settle in most at the NFL. Before we let you go, any dark horses uh, on that roster right now who you think maybe sneak into day three or, or an undrafted free agent who you, you're you going to say, hey, you know what, that guy's got a chance to make a team? You know, A.C. Lee was Charlie Thomas's running mate at linebacker, and you talk about a durable, dependable guy. He had 100-plus tackles each of his last two seasons. He has high football IQ. Um, he could be a day-three guy, but I think he'll be a very fast, undrafted free agent pickup if a team doesn't select him. Um, just a, a guy that is just very cerebral. He works well in tight spaces. Much like Charlie, has a knack for finishing off plays. When he clamps onto a guy, he doesn't let go. Very few missed tackles with ace. And I think just without his presence, his his leadership and his, his intelligence the last couple of years, I'd shudder to think what Georgia Tech would have been like defensively. So A.C. Lee is another guy that I think uh, has a lot of upside at, at the linebacking position, and I'd be really curious and excited to see where he will land. And you know, even if he doesn't get drafted, it wouldn't shock me if he's the guy who can stick on a 53-man or even on a practice squad uh, that could eventually grow into being uh, you know, a 53-man guy out of Georgia Tech. He is Andy Demetra, the Yellow Jackets radio play-by-play announcer all over Georgia Tech's group of prospects entering 
the 2023 draft. Andy, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and look forward to having you on the program down the road. Thanks, Andy. And we will and we will take good care of Kevin Shearer, your former linebackers coach, who is now with us as uh, Georgia Tech's linebackers coach. So I consider this the, the, the other part of the trade. You guys, <laughs> he's a good man. for the podcast. Send regards for us. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks Andy. Appreciate it. There you go. You got it. So the ties across the board are immense in terms of the overlap between college and the pros as former Giants coaches appearing back on the collegiate level. So Georgia Tech, Pitt, and LSU, the three schools that we covered over the course of this program, we were talking about the wide receiver for the Tigers. Booty, I think, is very intriguing. You talk about Cansey for Pitt is another guy, obviously, given his resume and the fact that even though he's 24, Keon White, but as we were talking with Andy, I'm not that fearful because he only had two full seasons. If he was 24 and played four, five right. full seasons, Paul, I'd be right. like, I don't know. The fact that he really only has had two and there's still that rawness to him, that doesn't scare me. His toolbox is impressive. I mean, you look at his frame, look at his just flat-out raw ability – there are going to be coaches who can't wait to get their hands on him and say, hey, I can do some stuff with this guy. 100%. And that's why as much as we sit here and we break down all of these prospects, the biggest X factor, I would say of all, when it comes to if you bring in a player, does he pan out, is the plan. The vision being carried out by the coaching staff. Because how many times, Paul, and we talk about this, we've seen it even in-house here. The Giants, they draft a player. Then he goes elsewhere to another team, and all of a sudden, he starts to figure it out. You know, part of that is maybe the player didn't stay healthy, of course. That's been well documented, but sometimes it's a matter of fit. It's a matter of the way that he was utilized on one team doesn't necessarily duplicate how another team utilizes I may it. have told you this story in the past, but it's the greatest example that I can give you. Many years ago, Corey Webster was drafted by the Giants out of LSU to play corner. He was a press coverage, one-on-one, shadow corner coming out of LSU. When the Giants drafted him and he got here, that's not what they asked him to do. And, you know, he was frustrated. He went through a lot of injuries. And remember, I, I pulled him on the side one day and I said, Hey, C. Webby, I got I to gotta talk to you for a minute. He's like, yeah. I said, look, I know you've been hurt. and I know there's a lot of reasons why this hasn't worked out so well. But here's what I don't get. I saw what you did at LSU. You were a press corner. They put you right up there one-on-one, and you shadowed guys. You were all over guys. They don't ask you to do that here. So why do they draft you? Because it's obvious what you do, and they're not asking you to do it. And he was like, yeah, I know. He goes, what am I supposed to do? You know, he goes, I, what can I do? What can I say? He goes, I, I, I know what you, I hear you. Shortly thereafter... Steve Spagnolo makes <laughs> the tweet. Okay, he's going to be one on one. He's going to be a press corner, and this moment, and all of a sudden, Corey Webster started to play really, really well. And it was simply a matter of the fit between the guy's skill set, what he does well, and the scheme that the NFL team was using, and that just was not meshing very, very well. It was just not a good fit in that regard. And once that got figured out. All of a sudden, you know, you got what you wanted to get out of them. I use that as an example a lot when I talk about uh, these things during the draft because it's one of the best examples I can give people. Because Corey Webster was given up for as a bust. He really was. 
He helped them win the Super Bowl. Well, and it relates to, this is something that we brought up last year when the Giants were making a transition with Joe Shane taking over at GM and getting used to what the coaching staff envisioned. When you see Wink Martindale come in as the defensive coordinator and they wind up bringing players in that had ties to him in Baltimore, that's not a coincidence because you go to your coaches as a general manager and you say, hey, what do you need to fit perfectly within your scheme? And who better to have than veterans that have played in that before? And now I think what's interesting about this year in the approach to the draft is Joe already went through an entire year where he got to know the coaches. Clearly, he had a relationship with Brian Dable. But I'm talking about the other assistants, specifically the guys on the defensive side of the ball. He saw the types of players that Wink utilizes that can come in and immediately make an impact and how he utilizes those positions. I think that better suits how they're going to have the second go-around than their approach to this draft. You can't overlook that. Look, as symmetrical as they were last year between... The personnel department, the general manager, the coach, the staff, everything was just so in unison. Now this is year two. If it's not even more buttery and smooth, then something's wrong. Because we saw how well it worked last year. And if there's one thing besides the the symmetrical uh, uh, atmosphere that this particular organization has fostered with these guys, it's that wink is so incredibly creative, so unbelievably versatile in his philosophies. I call it the kaleidoscope defense. You know what? Even if they're a little bit off on a guy with their judgment or their perception about what he does well, chances are Wink will find a way to get something good out of him anyway. And that's coaching 101. Adaptation is the word that comes to mind. Where maybe he doesn't appear on paper as a great fit, but once you get him in the building... You can work your magic. And, and I trust Wink. Yeah, and I think we had examples of that on offense as well in terms sure. of players getting With some Kafka. shots. Yep. No doubt about it. All right, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. few reminders, though, before we wrap. You can subscribe to the Giants Huddle Podcast. You can head to Giants.com slash podcast for more info on that. Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level. Season ticket membership. You can stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships, they're now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV. It brings you original video content, game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. So that is going to do it for Monday's edition of BBKL. We appreciate everybody listening. And a reminder, it's part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be up and running again Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. And we'll speak to you right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 